Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's Bronwyn Bidwell. Hello. Today we're joined by vocal and mindset coach Gemma Sugru. Gemma is a former singer who runs Pro Vocal Artist, a mentoring program that helps singers develop their artistry and mindset. So hi, Gemma. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Singing Teachers Talk. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks a million for having me. The reason why I was so keen to get you on um, is I thought this time of year, so many people I know, so many people, probably everyone knows, they've made resolutions, they've made promises about how they're going to change their practice, change how they, they you know, uh, run their daily lives. And probably in a few weeks time, they'll all be forgotten. <laughs> so I thought you might be a good person to help teachers develop some good habits themselves and also maybe help their students to, um, to implement some good changes. For sure. I definitely, I think at the beginning of the first lockdown, I've always been interested in habits and it's always been a problem I have struggled to solve as a teacher. I was like, I know all the science, I know all the, not all the science, but I felt like I had gotten to the bottom of a lot of the vocal technique science, but I, I was still falling short in terms of getting my students to apply themselves every week and to practice. And I felt like I wasn't providing something there. And and for myself, I was always interested in optimizing my performance on a day-to-day basis so I've I've probably tried out all of the approaches to habit formation and uh, I ended up landing eventually on one that's called Tiny Habits uh, that's uh, written by uh, he's a professor in Stanford he's BJ Fogg and he he actually trained, um, he would have taught a class in Stanford on persuasive technology. So we kind of, in a way, have him to thank for um, Instagram and addictive behaviors on social media apps. But he's done an amazing job of helping us use it for great good. But yeah, so I started reading that book and I ended up studying and doing their um, coaching training course as well. So uh, that's where I ended up with that. So what's the sort of main idea that underlines Tiny Habits? Because obviously there are lots of different programs out there, but what what's the main idea and what was it that particularly resonated with you? Well, I think that when you're reading these books, they have loads of ideas and concepts and you're like, oh, I want to apply that. But sometimes they're not very applicable in your life. They're kind of, they still remain ideas and they were very interesting, but you're like, I can't seem to implement it. Um, The way when I read Tiny Habits, it's quite clear that he's an educator first and foremost, and he knows how to map something out and help you to apply it. So at the end of every chapter, there are a lot of action items um, and it's all kind of broken down into these like little frameworks and little models. Um, so they're super helpful, but it's a, there's a little bit of crossover in a lot of the approaches. Say, for example, one of the most popular habit books out there is called Atomic ha- Habits by James Clear. A lot of people will be familiar, familiar with that one and probably has a bit more 
popularity um, and so there's a little bit of overlap there but there's a bit more a uh, small bit more science that that's not included in atomic habits um, but mainly it's the formatting of it and how you're able to apply it and study it and learn it um, and you really only need the book to learn like when we did the training course we really just kind of pulled apart the whole uh, teaching models in the book we didn't do anything extra beyond that so even somebody just with that book I think could learn everything they need to know about tiny habits. And so if you had to sort of sum it up in a few paragraphs what sort of the tiny habits philosophy? I suppose number one it's the whole uh, idea that make something tiny and he he creates so he has this thing called B equals MAP. So B stands for behavior, um, M stands for motivation. And I think that's what a lot of us lean into for kind of starting a new habit and keeping it up. We're like, you know, come on, let's do it. Let's go be positive. You can do it. And he uh, maintains that motivation is a fickle friend that we shouldn't be relying on that. And we should be looking to other aspects of a habit and the other aspects of a habit are your ability to do it and so if you're able to scale that back as much as possible or remove as much friction from the doing of a habit or behavior that's going to increase your ability and therefore offset your necessity to highly motivate yourself to do it so it's kind of raising the ability level if the motivation isn't very high and then m so m is motivation a is ability and then p is for a prompt and he outlines that there are three kinds of prompts that we can use so prompt number one is a person prompt so that's you remembering something that's you getting a cue to go to the bathroom or a cue that you're hungry um, a context prompt would be a notification a post-it note and then the prompt that he recommends that you use when you're fa uh, forming a habit is an action prompt so an action prompt is a behavior that already exists in your day-to-day -day life that you can just tag on the new habit so for example if I wake up in the morning and I always drink a glass of water I will say after I drink a glass of water I will do you know a couple of lip bubble glides up and down my range or I'll stretch I'll do a forward fold so that would be like one example he's got lots of other instances but that's really the formula and the best way to I think to encapsulate it is b equals map behavior equals motivation ability and prompt it's really interesting because you talk about, he suggests taking friction away, whereas quite mm -hmm. a lot of the time we have this thing where it's um, no pain, no gain, where it's actually mm -hmm. about you kind of have to suffer a little bit and you have to push through. And realistically, um, that's sort of perhaps where people fall down because we don't really like suffering and, and we don't really do that. Absolutely. And I think that in order to exp like to in order to be okay with that there is still a little bit pain little bit little bit of pain and i think the pain is in having to be patient and i actually think that people are maybe not aware of how painful that is for them they're like oh i just want it to happen because they're not sure what if i do this every day and i commit to it and it still doesn't work it's like they need to kind of find out is this definitely going to work so um i think another reframe you could put on that is you know a goal is a compass not a destination and that the goal really is a is a fleeting moment let's say somebody's trying to build up their social media and they have in their mind i won't going to get like 10,000 followers on my instagram by the end of the year um when you arrive at that figure that's just a, a moment where you're like oh i did it well done 
literally lasts a couple of seconds your life leading up to that should the process that's your life that's what your what your world is and that should be really enjoyable so i think that it's important to enjoy what you're doing and to make it tiny make it accessible but realize that the process is your life the habit formation is your life and that like you know you're taking on that growth mindset and thinking like oh i think i'm getting a little bit better and actually finding the joy and the satisfaction in the development of the process. Sure, definitely. And so do you raise these kind of issues with all of your students as a matter of course, or do you wait until you think there's a student that perhaps needs that help or it would perhaps be open to it? Um, so, well, for me personally, I I just run a program. Um, it's like a course and it's also coaching. But the first part of that program is called life design. So it's kind of like a rite of passage. They don't re- get to the singing until they have completed about 10 assignments on habits, systems, routines, protocols. I really think that creating space um they know what they're signing up for of course so i'm just lucky that i have people who are like willing to sign up for that but it's really interesting i I just find that unless they create the space unless they identify some routines and some systems um we'll never find our groove and i just know that no matter how many great breakthroughs we have in the coaching if they don't have an implementation process of that technique we may have developed it's never going to stick it's never going to have like lasting change and are they open to that do they sort of think oh I've come to you (laughs) to to learn how to sing or actually um, do they get what you're trying to you know kind of uh, encourage them to do yeah well I always have like a a 45 minute call with anyone before they would set up with me to either talk them into it or talk them out of it (laughs) so that like (laughs) so that they really know what they're signing up for and I'm like look this is what I expect from you and I really want it to be a success I want you to have transformation I want this to work for you know that singing is is a small part of it that this is really about kind of changing your life and um adapting these routines the 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 program that I run so I suppose I'm a bit of an outlier really I'm not like your typical just teaching one-on-one lessons so um and I definitely struggled prior to this when I was just teaching individuals and trying to get them to take on these kind of protocols and approaches to practice and to singing and to take it quite seriously so you definitely would want a student who's decided to take this quite seriously and what sort of results have you seen? Obviously, um, the fact that you put so much time into it, you obviously think it's it's an investment that's that's worth it. But what sort of results have you seen with students? Yeah, I think that usually the feedback is um, like w- one piece of feedback actually that I got this week was a, a singer had listened back to her voice last year and just couldn't really get her head around how different it sounded. It was quite disorientating for her because she didn't actually feel like she you know when you learn something and you think you always knew it and and then you look back and you're like there was a time like last year where I didn't even know that was a thing or that was like a piece of information that was part of my whole outlook on life and she she listened back and she was like I can't understand how my voice sounded like that um but so that's like one instance but generally I think they 
because you know you are the athlete you are the the instrument is the body and the and the mind all these kind of over the overhaul you'll end up doing on your whole body and mind in terms of taking care of your routine and your systemization and your practices and your habits it it, it makes your your life generally better and i've received the feedback that i came for singing i thought that that's what i needed i ended up you know really transforming a lot of areas of my life because i took this so seriously Wow, that's really good. And I guess they're skills that they could apply in other areas of their life as well, whether they go on to run their own business or, or run their own band. Totally. Absolutely. And and good cascades from good and bad cascades from bad. So it's, you know, this the, the slippery slope, like that goes up and that goes down. So like one little positive change, one thing that you prove to yourself that you can do, if you can prove you can be consistent, you're, you've won. Like if you prove to yourself you can be consistent with one tiny little change and you're like, what other tiny little thing can I do? And you just start stacking everything. So how does it work in terms of um, external feedback? Because lots of us perhaps need that push or enjoy getting that sort of um, gratification if someone says you've done that well. If you're doing something like this at home by yourself and you're not getting that high five from someone, what are there other ways you can perhaps build in a high five that, that, uh, that doesn't come from an external source? Mm, that's interesting that you just said high five because I've read there's a book by Mel Robbins called The High Five Habit and she teaches people to high five themselves in the mirror in the morning and she said that there's like this kind of neuro aerobic programming with the gesture of high fiving like you have associations of support of excitement of joy of you go you can do this I've got your back and that she was encouraging people to do that in the morning to kind of be their own ally and that's something that uh, she didn't mention it in her book but it's something that he really teaches in tiny habits as well and he teaches this um element to creating a habit is to celebrate it and to celebrate yourself in your mind you know you're doing it yes keep going you've got this and that you start becoming your own cheerleader even if it feels a little bit like not it doesn't it shouldn't feel phony but that it it's kind of like you are just layering it in consciously um he gets you to do some kind of a gesture like if you were to throw a tea bag across the room and it landed in the cup what would you naturally do as a human being would you be like yes and that you would do something like that to kind of lock in uh, and kind of layer in an, a, a positive emotion but i do think say for example if i'm training in the gym I'll never, I'll never stretch myself as far as I do when I have my personal trainer. There's just always going to be that little bit of an extra stretch that happens when she's there. So I do think that that's a, that's a, a situation, but also, yeah, I, I think having a really strong why and a clear sense of meaning with what you're doing will keep you on track all of the time. So, so really discovering and understanding your why. And then the other things would be like, it, it always helps to have accountability. It always helps to create some external obligations. So maybe you do set some deadlines or set something that you're working towards. Um, but I think community and accountability, which we get from working with coaches or we get from being as part of a, say, as part of BAST, there's a community, there's a forum, um, it's always going to increase your odds of success. And that leads nicely to my next question, which is what about goal setting? Is part of the problem that people actually, it sounds odd, have the wrong goals? How do you make sure that you're pursuing the goal that's right for you? You're not being overly influenced by other people or peers or, or what you've seen on social media? 
Yeah, yeah, that's I, I definitely think that kind of setting the aspirations, setting the goals at the beginning is is hugely important. Um, and that should be done with the mind frame that you have a magic wand anything is possible. I prefer to zoom out as much as somebody's willing to zoom out. Usually about five years. I'm like five years from now, where do we want to be? Um, because we overestimate what we can do in a year, underestimate what we can do in five years. I think that's Tony Robbins or one of those people. Um, but I think that it's really true. And, and, and it comes back to that idea of being patient with a process. But yeah, zooming out five years and then starting to, to kind of break it down into the like what's an annual milestone for that and then once you're kind of happy with that and you I would question why 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 so we really get to the bottom of the motivator of everything that we've chosen and then we would brainstorm a list of behaviors what are some daily behaviors that we would do to get us to closer to that milestone um, and then from there we look at our long list of behaviors and we may decide to select two or three and from those two or three they need to meet two pieces of criteria so they need to be easy for you to do and you can see yourself doing it and in fact you might even feel excited about that being in your day um, and secondly it needs to be effective um, so that would be my process of kind of dialing out and that, that takes a little bit of time but it's really really worth spending time on that at the beginning and something I heard you speaking at a BAST event last year and you said that changing your sleep habits had actually had a big impact on the rest of your life why did that make such a big change I think that it comes back to what I was talking about uh, earlier in terms of like proving to myself that consistency or that or that that ability to change. Um, for example, like not snoozing was the biggest win I've ever had in my life, I think. Were you a serious <laughs> snoozer, were you? <laughs> I was. I just It just became totally habitual. I would always hit the snooze button. I couldn't get past it. And now it's like I will, you know, I'm... I'm I have had to set up some serious alarm strategies, um, including like I have I have two alarms. I've, I've moved my uh, get up time back about an hour or two weeks ago. So now to make sure that I do, because it's not natural for me to wake up at that time, I have a really loud alarm in my kitchen that will go off at uh, five minutes to five. And then I have another alarm in the hall that will go off two minutes before that. So I ha I'll hear the one in the hall, I'll turn that off. But I know that if the next alarm goes off, my neighbors will hear it. And so it makes me run because I have the social responsibility of my neighbors not hearing my alarm. And the alarm is underneath the boiler. So when it's cold, I'll just turn on the boiler. And then I'm like, the boiler's on, I'm up, okay. <laughs> so, but that's, that's getting off the point maybe a little bit. But basically the, the reason why it, had, it changed my life was you, you, you're synchronizing your circadian rhythm, right? And so everything, my body just started predicting everything and everything started to feel easier. Meal times, when I'm alert, when I'm tired, all of those things were just happening on cue. It was like I was getting tired at the time that I needed to be tired. I was getting awake when I needed to be awake. I was getting deep focus at the time I expected to have deep focus. I was getting hungry at the time I needed to be hungry. It was just like everything. There were so many things that were taken off the table of my life management because everything was synced up that I protect my routine now. Like I would be, I'm scared about how I have one or two gigs in. I, I've kind of retired from singing, but I do have a few gigs in the calendar this year and I'm like I'm going to have to like 
train to be awake at that time. I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> but that's probably really useful for singers if they do gig a lot, because I can imagine that their week, no week may necessarily be the same. So they've got to try and find a way to get some control because they could be traveling around or staying in different hotel rooms. Oh, it's very challenging, super challenging. And I really think that, you know, it's uh, on one hand, I think say yes, go out, get going, do do the gigs. But I always think that sometimes we don't add up the cost of all of that traveling, everything that's demanded upon us to do a gig um, and all the disruption that it can cause in a week. And I think a lot of singers end up on the back foot because of the heavy of a heavy gig. And I know we're just dying to get back into gigs now, but hopefully, you know, they're charging the money that they really deserve to earn for those gigs, for the sacrifices that they're making to disrupting their routine. Any Anyone else in any other type of workforce would not accept giving up the kind of time that they gave up sometimes for the amount that, yeah, like especially if it's far away. Um, I, I just think that singers should consider that. So, so there are definitely trying to find, like if normally you're gigging until midnight and you're not in, you're not asleep until after midnight or one o'clock, let's say, then you can't really expect yourself to be this early morning 6 a.m. person during the week. You're just going to have to sync it up. Um, and then what you need to do uh, when you're setting up your rhythm is to make sure you do get that that light in the morning that you actually get outside for 10 minutes because that like lands on your retinas and your brain kind of registers that morning light and helps the synchronization happen faster. But yeah, that's just, I know it's a sacrifice singers need to make, but I, I think that they should really question making sure that the gig is definitely worth it. The money is worth it. Um, you know, they're getting well taken care of in those scenarios. I suppose there's also that thing of diet as well, because I can imagine you've probably got a little bit more control over what you eat every day. And if you're mm. consciously trying to eat healthily and not, um, you know, not snack or not eat junk food, that mm. that's good for your health in general, but also perhaps good for your um, your you're sort of um, setting yourself up for routines and making a nice meal, etc. Totally, because you're like, I remember when I was gigging a lot and I would eat late, I would eat after a gig and your body is just like, what time is it? I don't get it. Why do you need energy now? And, you know, it, that throws everything out of sync as well. So um, I think going back, I'll probably... Uh, and, and I probably started to do this a little bit with things I was doing late, but like be, being very, I, I would avoid hanging out after the gig. I wouldn't talk to anyone. I would get like, get my sleepy vibes on. Um, I would be ready to sleep as soon as I got into the van, be zero crack. Like. <laughs> and so what advice would you have for singing teachers who are interested in perhaps trying to implement some of these ideas with their students Probably they've seen that um, they know some students need a little bit of structure. How do you think a singing okay. teacher can approach it with a student who may well think, I'm paying you to teach me to sing. I'm not paying you to you know, give me a lecture about my life. Where, where would you suggest they start? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I feel like uh, just asking lots and lots of questions is always going to be the, the good, a good way to go, you know, without being obviously invasive, but asking them questions about w when, like, when were, when was it successful? When did they have a good week? When did they have a bad week? What works for them? Even just, I think the very simple thing of figuring out the anchor for their singing practice and getting kind of micro just on the singing practice, because if we do get them to win at this, we don't 
don't have to help them change their lives even if we're even if they're performers and and we think that they could benefit from like changing their diet and getting into better sleeping patterns blah 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 that could all really cascade if you could prove to them with their that they could make their singing practice a regular habit and you could do that by just focusing on what time they do it where they do it, the environment, how how much how little friction can there be to getting into doing it? How short and like effective can you make their singing practice? Um, can you teach them how to wire in a positive emotion with their practice? Um, and so and then anchoring it, what behavior is it going to follow on from? Is it like they have a coffee after lunch or they have a, a cup of tea after lunch? They put the cup in the dishwasher and they say, I sing, I do my singing practice practice then and then when they walk over is it just a case of pressing the button on the keyboard asking them every little question about all of that is it in the same room what's the environment in the room um do they need to create some anchors with smells or with you know the environment or with the lighting um it's just saying like let's experiment it's like a little science experiment and let's see how can we actually make this super repeatable um just starting there i think all the good things can cascade from that you use the word in that conversation about emotion, and I think that's quite interesting because a lot of people are told they need to practice, are told they need to do this and that, and it feels like a chore. And I think um, mm-hmm. emotion is interesting because perhaps it could be a positive thing if we didn't see it as, you know, a sort of a chore or a drag or a, something that we, you know, we should feel guilty about if we haven't done it. Mm, yeah, and, and guilt is a real troublesome emotion, isn't it? Because it's such a, uh, an energy sapper on its own. You're like, oh God, I don't even need, look, today I didn't practice, big deal. Why, why am I going to drain myself with the guilt about it? But I think that, so like one thing that I get my students to do is to sing before and after their practice and to sing something that's a little bit on the edge for them. Like it's not too much of a stretch, just a little bit of a stretch that they would need to have a warm up to sing it nicely and do a verse and chorus of that. Then do your practice. A practice is usually 10 to 15 minutes of, of a technique kind of warm up and then afterwards sing it again and they make notes. So I do recommend tracking. So they have a spreadsheet with me where they'll track that and they'll give themselves a score for before and after. And if they notice that it was way easier and nicer to sing it afterwards, there's a positive association with that they feel good they feel motivated and inspired to do it again but then I also would encourage them to have actually decided a celebration so decided a thing that they always do whether it's like they put on upbeat song just at the end or they do something to just trick their brain into like this is really good let's keep doing this we really like this because it's not hard for us to, to develop a scrolling Instagram habit because it's it's pleasurable so we have to create pleasure within the practice Sure, that's a great suggestion. And do you think that this could be used with either children or teenagers? Could you modify it to help children and te- teenagers? I Yes, and there are definitely, uh, I know in my group, there were different coaches that specialized in helping kids and teenagers. My work doesn't, I, I only work with adults. I don't have a lot of experience. Prior to this, years ago, I would have worked with teenagers. So... I, I'm probably not the most expert person to, to figure out what might be the good carrots on sticks for, for those guys. But I, it's definitely applicable. I think you could take all the same principles. And I can imagine if you got some good, uh, developed some good habits in your younger years, they would carry you through 
be quite a useful thing massively massively oh my goodness i think anything that can ground them and anchor them and make them feel successful i think that's another important thing that you know you're you're constantly that that comes from that self-praise idea um you know that feeling and i remember having it when i went i was i was doing especially with something you feel insecure about they somebody is in what bj fogg calls the power zone if it's something they care about and something they're insecure about at the same time is a a very vulnerable place for them to be and they're very receptive to any feedback there um, and any input so if you encourage in that when you're in that state it really is very very helpful and I definitely I'm all for growth mindset but I think growth mindset with an aim to kind of really layer in a lot of encouragement is always going to help imagine a, a toddler learning to walk and the parents cheering the toddler on that's what gets the toddler up and going every single time they're like yeah you're doing great woohoo like that stuff just works it helps a lot so I think um for them I would train them to and they I know especially teenagers will have a hard time with this but try and help them self-praise will be great and so what are your some of your goals for this year obviously you're good at helping other people what what sort of goals and sort of habits are you trying to implement this year Oh, good question. I um so I'm I go to the I've only started going to the gym properly like last year and trying to go four times a week at the moment. I'm usually three and I'm just upping it to four. Um so that and I have like a goal, I have a strength goal for that. Um definitely making my business a bit better, like the new get up time. But there's a lot of habits and behaviors that I'm really delighted are in my routine now a habit that I am working on is my meditation habit um so just trying to so at the moment I'm what we what we call it is scaling so I started my meditation habit beginning of January typically it was literally the first of January it's like okay meditation's got to get back on the plan here so I do do it for five minutes but I was I was sitting there going I could totally do 10 minutes because I used to do 10 or 15 minutes but I think you want to make yourself feel like you you're in the middle of a cliffhanger episode with something like that so if you stop in five minutes and you're like oh I could probably go more stop and then the next day even still stop 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 and so I was doing five minutes for like the first seven days and then I opted by six minutes and six minutes still didn't feel very long but I was actually craving it a little bit the next morning so that's one one little habit that I'm trying to work in but generally my routine and my habits have been laid down and my main goal is yeah build my strength try and like commit to as much balance in my life I can be a a bit of a overworker um so trying to commit to a bit more socializing and and taking time for myself and, and being okay about slowing down and then generally just developing my program and systemizing that as much as possible for the next year And so what advice would you have for other teachers who are perhaps interested in mindset and interested in developing some tools to help their students? Who have you read? You sound like you've done a lot of research on this. Obviously, BJ Uh Fogg, but who else are some of the people you've read and who you find useful? Well, I think the first book that comes to mind, well, probably my favorite book has been Essentialism. Um, and that's a book by a man named Greg McKeown. And that's about the disciplined pursuit of less. And that really, 
like was so arresting for me that was such a, a pivotal read for me and I've read it a couple of times and it's really just all about like being selective about what you do and that you we can't do it all and that you have to make trade-offs in your life and I think that I was in this kind of scarcity mindset of but I better teach and I better run a business and I better gig and I better record and I better do backing vocals and I better have a way and I, and I was just like oh my god I'm getting nowhere fast I'm spinning my wheels or my tires in the mud here so I was like what would happen if I only did one thing like could I mean I've I've a long life hopefully um one year isn't a very long time in a lifetime could you just take one year to do one thing and this pandemic is just the perfect opportunity to do that so I sold my business I uh, left I was a part of vocology and practice I loved that so much I I I pulled back from that I uh, retired from singing and I was like all I am doing, I won't offer one-on-one lessons. It's like, all I'm doing is this program. I will get up every day. I will write this program. And if it fails, it fails. But I love doing it so much that I don't care. Um, and so that was a big game changer for me. And it's something I'm always trying to help my students with. Is like, you've got to make a selection. You can't do it all at once. You can do this right now. And then you can maybe look at that later. But just just pick one thing and go with it right now and give it all of your emotion and your attention. So that was a, a really big one. I um, I mean, there's lots of books like um, Cal Newport. Um, what's his what's his one? It's on focus and flow. Oh gosh, I can't remember um, any of his books about focusing. I think like um, Elizabeth Gilbert for anyone who's like an artist, uh, Big Magic, all of those. But uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast, I would encourage every single teacher to listen to every minute that man has ever spoken. He's the most... Um, I don't know, he's just such an unbiased, articulate, succinct um, person for delivering uh, a cross-section of really important, up-to-date, brilliant research. He's And he's, it's so well organized the way the podcasts are laid out. Um, and like another tip would be to listen and read at the same time. I listen at like one point. Yeah, that really (laughs) helps it go in. (laughs) So, because I just feel, I felt like I would either listen to a book and I, I couldn't even really recall what I had read um, or I'd read a book and it would kind of I'd pick up a few things but not much and I was highlighting and I wasn't picking it up but um, reading and listening to the book at the same time and rather than reading many books this year read the same book that makes an impact twice or three times that that's nearly more um, there's there's a bit more of a return on that um, I'd recommend that. Um, yeah, that's a good one because I'm bad. I of- often have two books on the go at once, even, and then I think sometimes uh-huh. um, I, I might lose a bit of interest in one of them. And I think that's because I just haven't focused enough. I've sort of, I don't know, yeah. allowed myself to have a second book come into my mind, and then I sort of get all a bit, um, a bit overwhelmed. Yeah, I think that's okay too. Though I mean, I feel like I would I, like you. I probably do that too. And say when it's nonfiction, I also ha- made the mistake initially when I was like, okay, I'm going to like be read a lot of books now, and I, I made the mistake of thinking I had to read them cover to cover. And with nonfiction, actually, unless they really rely on it being like chronological, which most of them don't, you want to actually just jump to the parts that are important for you and relevant. So I think having one or two books on the go is cool. But if you want to like really immerse yourself in the information, sitting down, having the book in front of you and having the author read it to you, 
there, it's never going to go in as deeply as, as when it's like that, I think. That's a good tip. I'm going to try that one. Um, well, listen, it's been so fantastic to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Thank I will you. point out to people that there is a webinar on the BAS website of you going into a bit more detail about goal setting. And it's got some lovely oh, visuals. If people are visual and they really, um, it kind of comes together when they see see the visuals as well. That's really useful. Um, but what else would you recommend if people want to find out more about Tiny Habits or about uh, the program that you run? Yeah, so Tiny Habits run a really cool system where you can do like a free five day um, kind of like workshop with them where the, you'll have a coach every day via email and the coach will check in with you and you'll pick three habits and it'll teach you how to pick your three habits at the beginning of the week and then you'll be coached throughout the week on that. So that's free. I would recommend that to anyone. I would recommend anyone get the book and the audiobook. Hmm. Um and I would um I mean if you're interested in working with me, my program is Pro Vocal Artist and the best thing to do is to uh contact me on Instagram actually probably direct message is a great way to connect with me I'm I think it's great to just start a conversation there and I'll be able to either say oh yeah I can help or oh you know what maybe go over here with with that or check this person out okay well that's fantastic well listen it's been so great to talk to you today and uh, I'm going to go away I'm going to become a better reader (laughs) and I'm definitely going to look into uh, BJ Fogg's book so that's great yay cool lovely thanks for million for having me Fellow Curious Voice Nerd, have you got your ticket to our next event yet? Well, head over to www.basstraining.com forward slash store and we'll save you a seat. That's www.bastraining.com forward slash store. Don't worry, you haven't totally missed out on our past events. A recording is waiting for you there too. You probably want to sign up to our mailing list though, just to make sure you never miss another cordial invitation. So follow the link in our podcast description to join. See you at the next one.